0: Stephen, who is in the lesson from the book of Acts this morning, is our patron saint. Saint Stephen, as he is referred to. The first martyr of the church. The first one to die for the faith. The passage that we heard this morning in Acts is at the tail end of his story, which begins in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. Because it is in that time that the church is beginning to grow And the apostles are going out and sharing the good news with people around them. And it has come to the apostles' attention, that is, the first followers of Jesus, that there are needy among them who have been neglected, widows and orphans. And so, as we read in the sixth chapter of Acts, the apostles come together and say, this isn't right that the needy among us should be suffering as we go out to spread the good news. So let us appoint some people to stay here, And to care for those in need and stephen was among those first appointed the apostles laid their hands on their heads and commissioned them to carry out the good work in the good news among the needy in their midst this is where we get the idea of what a deacon is one who serves the needy among us and stephen is listed as one of those stephen was full of grace And we see in the sixth chapter of of Acts that he goes and shares with people about who this Christ is and the story of salvation as Christ has come to fulfill it throughout the stories of this Hebrew people. And there is one particular sect of the Jewish religion that has a good time debating with him. Except that with each challenge, Stephen comes up with something that they cannot debate any longer. And so we read in the sixth chapter of Acts about a conspiracy that is made. Stephen is set up, and a group of people are brought around him to ask him questions about who this Jesus is and how this fits in with the salvation history of the Jewish people. And so we read in the sixth chapter of Acts about salvation As Stephen goes through all the patriarchs of the faith and talks about how God is working and working and working and working, and here God has brought into our midst the Christ. And at the end of this speech, he insults his listeners. He calls them stiff necked people. I love that phrase. We know what that means (laughs) stiff necked people. And then he goes on to say they are uncircumcised in heart and ears. A huge insult to people who see as primary purpose, a primary part of their identity, and part of the covenant they keep with God, circumcision. But he says their ears and their heart are covered, and they are not open to what it is that God has done in Christ. And then we pick up in our reading today. They take Stephen outside of the gates of the city. They pick up stones and they stone him. And we hear his words as he is experiencing the stones coming at him, his prayer for the people, which reminds us of Jesus' prayer for the people as he dies on the cross. And we see that the witnesses of this terror lay their coats at the feet of Saul, a zealous young Jewish person, who has taken the faith and twisted it into a means of condemnation of others, of abuse and torture. And by the witnesses laying their their coats at the feet of Saul, they are demonstrating they're ready for the next act. These people didn't stone Stephen, they witnessed it. And they are in essence saying to Saul, tell us what we need to do next. We don't have much of a reference for the persecuted church, at least not in our own lives. None of us is only one or two degrees separated from what it means to be a part of the persecuted church in the world. We probably don't have any family members who have ever been a part of religious persecution. If we do, it's only maybe two or three people in this room. So we're far far removed from what, it seen, what we witness in today's readings about what it is to be the church under persecution. But there are other people in our day and time who know it firsthand. The presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, the Right Reverend Catherine Jefford Shory, has asked the Episcopal Church to remember the people of Sudan this week because on May 16th it was the feast for the martyrs of Sudan. On May 16th in 1983, a small group of Christian followers declared that they would not withdraw in the threat of the civil unrest that was happening in their country and the threat of the aspiring religious authority that wanted to impose Sharia law and was going to do it through any means necessary. This group of Christian people, both ordained and lay, declared that they wanted and felt they had the right to reveal God as God had been revealed to them, and that they would not cower in the face of threat. And so began 22 years of persecution of the Christian church in Sudan. Over 22 years, more than 2 million Christian people were killed. Over 22 years, all Christian churches and religious schools were destroyed. It resulted in a space the size of Alaska, void, of any church structure or religious school. 22 years, the church was persecuted. In 1983, of the population of Sudan, about 5% were Christian. By 2010, 85% were Christian. In the face of persecution, the church has the capacity to enter in and to declare the truth among the people Because as resurrected people, as people of the resurrection, we are not daunted by the threats around us. Perhaps those people, the early Christians in Sudan, remembered Paul's words to the church in Corinth when he says this. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation we are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry but as servants of god we have commended ourselves in every way we have commended ourselves through great endurance in afflictions hardships calamities we've commended ourselves in beatings imprisonments riots labors in sleepless nights and in hunger we've commended ourselves by purity knowledge patience kindness holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet see are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. These are Paul's words to the church in Corinth in his second letter. He knew persecution too. He knew it in his own life, and he had witnessed it in the stoning of Stephen. Because Paul, the author of these words, is the Saul that we read about in Acts. It was him that took a stand against the church and through the action of the church was changed and found himself among the leaders of the church in that world. We have the capacity as Christian people to enter into the difficult situations. We can bring response to the needy, we can offer reconciliation in times of strife because we know that the one that we follow. Is undaunted by what we face we as Christian people are not victims we are victors victors in Christ and so perhaps the people of Sudan the Christian people of Sudan remembered these words from Paul as well from now on therefore we regard no one from a human point of view even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view we know him no longer in that way so if anyone is in Christ there is a new creation everything old has passed away see everything has become new all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting instead the message of reconciliation to us so we are ambassadors for Christ Since God is making his appeal through us, and we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The church played a major role in reconciliation in 2011 when the Sudan became an official country, and civil war that had taken place there for 50 years ended Yet that time of peace became upset again last December of 2013 when the ruler accused one of his top leaders of developing a coup. And feeling threatened by that man, war began again. For these last six months, more deaths have occurred. People have fled their homes for safety, for food and shelter. There are refugees all around the region of Sudan. And just this past May 9th, 10 days ago, the Bishop, the Episcopal Bishop in that region was called back to aid in a truce between the leader and the man he accused of the coup, who then began an actual war between the two of them. The Episcopal Bishop was called back to help make this truce happen. And you can read about this on Episcopal News Services. The church is an agent of reconciliation play has played a huge part in that region of bringing peace and trying to stabilize that area we as the Episcopal Church have called on our own elected officials but we also claim the authority that we have as the church and that is what we're invited to do on this day this past week our statue although it's not ours but the one that we had the privilege of having graced the front step of our sidewalk for two weeks went on to another church in this diocese. But the sculpture was meant to remind us of how the church is a place that the needy come to. Those that are torn by strife come so that reconciliation can happen. We might not know this in the way that the people of Sudan know it, but through the church we are of the same body, and we can be in solidarity with them called to act and to respond, to empower them, to be agents of reconciliation and healing in the world. We're called to this because we are the church, because we follow the one who showed us the way, the way of reconciliation and the way of peace. Amen.